Anyway, this, um, this season that we are actually entering into is now called Epiphany. Um, for those of you who have never been part of a church that followed the church calendar, we entered in the uh, November 30th, we started what was called Advent, which was the four weeks prior to Christmas. We are right now in the 12 days of Christmas, and this is now the 10th day, the 11th night, if you will, of Christmas. And Tuesday is the Epiphany, January 6th, is the presentation, if you will, of Jesus to the, to the Magi. And some churches celebrate Epiphany only as that day, January 6th. Some celebrate Epiphany as um, a season that starts on January 6th and goes all the way through until Ash Wednesday. And so it goes through the season, until the season of Lent. Um, some people don't have Christmas gifts given until Epiphany. Some people give Christmas gifts every single day. And we looked at that, talked about that with the 12 Days of Christmas song a few weeks back. The idea that, you know, on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me, and then on the second day and the third day, so there was gifts given on the, all, all 12 days. But there are traditions that go with various seasons of the year. And I wanted to talk with you about some of the traditions of Epiphany. Just to give you an understanding, again, because I don't know that many of you have ever really been involved with a church that had a celebration or an honoring or an understanding of what the Epiphany was. Um, but again, some of the traditional colors and signs and symbols are colors for the Epiphany are usually um, uh, white and gold, just like Christmas. Some churches, after that first day of Epiphany, then go to green and that's the color that they use in their worship space um, all the way through until Lent starts. The traditional symbols of Epiphany are usually the Magi, the, 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 the three wise men, or simply crowns can be used, or even just a single crown representing Jesus as the King of Kings. There are various portrayals of the wise men, Sometimes you'll see the wise men as just Asian or East Asian or, or even Middle Eastern. Sometimes you'll see them as Caucasian, Oriental, and African American or, or, or black. So you've got the three races represented. Um, sometimes a five-pointed star represents the season of Epiphany. Sometimes you'll see they'll just have what's called a, like a stylized globe of the earth representing the fact that Christ came to the entire world, not just to the people of uh, Israel. One of the traditions of Epiphany, and this is something I had never heard of, it's, it's done in mostly in Eastern European countries, um, and some of the, the, well, Eastern European countries, is they'll take some chalk, and above their door, they'll put the first two numbers of the year, so in this case it would be 2, 0, then a plus sign, then C plus M plus B plus 15. So it would be 2, 0, plus C plus M plus B plus 15. And what this is, it's a blessing that they're invoking on their house. 
Some people say that the C, M, and B represent the names of the three magi, Casper, Melchior, and Balthazar. There are others who say that the CMB is actually a prayer in Latin, Christus Mansionem Benedicat, which means may Christ bless this house. But the idea being that at the season of Epiphany, they're recognizing publicly on their front door, publicly, Christ has come to this home. And we're invoking a blessing and asking God to shine his light from this house. And I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, I, I was reading, I've read various, various commentaries, and this one person said that that's a pagan practice, and you don't need to mess with that kind of stuff. But the other one was like, what's wrong with asking Christ to bless your home? <laughs> I thought, what a cool thing. I mean, maybe you don't take a chalk and put it on the thing, but maybe you make a sign that says the year with the CNV on it, and you just hang it above your door, during the season of Epiphany. Wouldn't that be interesting as a, as a tradition to start in your own home? And people would say, what in the world is that? And you say, oh, I'm asking God to bless my house. Christ, bless this home. Or CMB stands for Christus, whatever, Mansione. And I'll give it to you if you're interested in it. Um, but that, to me, was a, a, a um, tradition that I have never, ever heard of before. And it really spoke to me. But this idea of Epiphany for me, is fun if you want to look at traditions, but what does it really have to do with my faith? What does it really have to do with who I am as a Christian and how I practice my faith out in the world? And obviously for me, one of the most important things is I want to make sure that that it's based in Scripture and that it's not just a tradition of man, but that indeed it is something that is God-honoring, it is in line with Scripture, um, so let's look at some of the verses that we would find that talk about this idea or the symbology of Epiphany. First of all, obviously, the story in Matthew. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Bear with me. Came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it had been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is the shepherd, my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. And when they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. 
On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and they paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Let's continue. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. That was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I have called my sons. And we could read on and learn about the horrors that happened after Joseph and Mary and Jesus left Bethlehem. But you know that story. We don't need to review it here. We say that the scripture is inspired by God the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe. We believe that God not necessarily dictated these words, but said to the persons who wrote them down, remember when, blah, 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 write that, write about that. God inspired the writing. So when Matthew sat down to put together the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God said to him, Write this down. So we can know as Christians that it was important to God the Holy Spirit that we have these words for some reason. Why? How does this story about three, or or about some wise people, we don't know how many there were. The Bible never tells us how many there were. But that these magi, these wise people, came from what we think was the area of Persia, or what was now known as Iran, that they came to the Jerusalem area seeking the king. They saw a star. How would they even know to go to Jerusalem? Why would they be prompted to do any of this? And why is all of this story important to us? Well, first of all, if you you look at the end of the Egypt, the calling out to, to go to Egypt, verse 15, it says, and this, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. See, Matthew's practice was to say, this that I'm telling you about, it was prophesied. So was this prophesied? Was this found, this, ev- this event of the, the Magi coming to bring homage to the Christ child? ever prophesied in the scripture? Well, in my study, I found out that yes, it was. Somebody turn to Psalms 72, verse 11. And while somebody's doing that, would someone else please turn to Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 6. And somebody else please turn to Numbers 24, 17. So it's Psalm 72, 11. Numbers 24, 17, Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 6. Does anybody have the Psalm 72? Psalm 72 is a psalm that they say talks about the son of David, which they believe to be Solomon, but they also scholars also believe it to be a messianic prophecy. So it is indeed a messianic prophecy, and if we were to read the whole of the psalm, we could see that it is indeed talking about the Messiah. But 
in Psalm 72, a messianic prophecy, it says, All kings will bow before him, all nations will give him service. Look at uh, Numbers 24, 17. We don't have time to look at this whole section in Numbers 24, but to give you the scenario, Jacob is, I mean, not Jacob, Israel, is um, laying on his deathbed, and he has called the twelve sons to him, and he's praying a prayer of blessing over each of his sons. And he gets to the son Judah, and he lays his hand on his head, and he says, this, I pray, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And I was reading one of the, one of the commentaries on this, and it said, this is hieroglyphic language, if you will, this imagery from the, the eastern areas. And it denotes this ruler this Messiah that is going to come out of the loins of Judah. Well, we understand if you look at the history of Israel that obviously it's talking about David coming, but then the promise that God made to David that we looked at a few weeks back, that from David's line there will be this king whose kingdom will never end, whose whose authority will go on for always, who will rule all humanity. And so right here in Numbers 24, we see this little tiny glimpse of this star that rises over this king born in Judah. It's the only place in Scripture that I can see, that I know of, that I've learned about at least, that talks about this star. But it's interesting that there's this tiny little cryptic thing that then all of a sudden we see the fulfillment of that prophecy in Matthew chapter 2 where the star makes itself known to these people who study stars in the land of Persia who then follow the star to Jerusalem. And we don't know exactly how long this was. If you go back to the Matthew passage it says Herod asked him when did they see the star and we're not told exactly what they say, but we do know that if you go back to, to, the, to the killing of the innocents in Bethlehem, it says Herod ordered the destruction of all of the children aged two and under. So that would indicate that this star appeared probably within the last couple of years. And that these persons were following this for whatever reason, whether it took them two years to cross the land, which I'm sure is not the case, or whether it just from the time that they first saw it to the time that they actually came before Herod, it had been approximately two years. So the bottom line with this is that there's this idea of this star that comes up that says to the world, for those who are watching, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And then finally, if someone will read Isaiah 60, Verses 1 to 6. Arise, shine for your light to come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. 
Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your lights and look out about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. I never saw that before. Honestly, I've never seen it before I studied this. I've, I've looked at Isaiah many times, but I've never remember seeing it says specifically that these kings, these leaders from the middle, Midian and Ephah, will bring gold and frankincense and proclaim the praise of the Lord. And this is talking again, this is a messianic verse. So these are prophecies that were fulfilled by this story. And that's one of the reasons why this story is in there, is again a proof to all of us who have read the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God, God with us. One last verse. Somebody look up Luke 2.32. We looked at this story last week with Simeon in the, in the temple when Jesus was presented in the temple. But what did Simeon say in Luke 2.32? A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Yeah, say it one more time. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This child is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. If you... And we read at the beginning of the service, John chapter 1, where it says that the Son, who the Word of God, who was with God in the beginning, became the light, and that light was the light of the world. And it said, but the darkness could not comprehend it. The darkness could not overcome it. It depends on whose translation you're reading. If you look at all of this mishmash, that's kind of, I'm trying to bring it all to a point. We have a story in, in Matthew that talks about people who are not Jews somehow, some way, recognizing that something phenomenal is about to happen through their own religious studies. You see, these people were astrologers, the people from the Persian area. They didn't worship Jehovah. They, they studied and worshipped the stars. But through their own practices, through their own religion, if you will, they were made known that something phenomenal was happening for the entire world. And they came in response to that to seek out this king. They used the word king of the Jews. And what I would submit to you is this. Jesus is, as we've said over and over again throughout our studies, and, and, and we've seen again this morning, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is not just the Messiah for the Jewish people, but he is indeed the Messiah to all the world. And if we believe, and we, we, we sang about it this morning, if we believe that we can't come to God unless God comes and calls us, 
What we understand that to be is called prevenient grace. In other words, I don't, res- I don't just all of a sudden out of the blue go someday, you know, I think I'll just start serving God. But indeed, in my life, as I'm sitting in, the, in my own stuff, and I'm in darkness, if you will, and in my sins, the Holy Spirit of God begins to draw me, to woo me. And as I told you at the beginning of the service, think about what it was that brought you to God. How did you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Were you born into it? Most likely not. Some of you were raised in the church, and so it was not like you were being pulled out of darkness in the sense that some of us were. But for, the, for all of us, each of us had to come to a decision for ourselves that we wanted to serve and honor the Lord God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, recognizing His was the only way that we could be saved from our sins. So, God drew each one of us out of our darkness into the light. And if we believe that that is universal, that's the way God deals with humanity, then is it not appropriate to say that that's exactly what we're seeing here in the story of the Magi? That while they're living their normal life, going about their normal business, studying their stars as was part of their religious practice, all of a sudden God intersects in their own religion and begins to draw them to him. If you look at any culture, I would say that there you will see that any culture you look at, you can, if you look hard enough, you will begin to see people who are saying, I sense, I, I never heard of it before, but I sense that there was this, this God that was pulling and drawing me and wooing me, and I responded to that. Well, then I got into this whole thing of, as I was, as I was thinking about this and processing through this, I was thinking, okay, God is indeed the God of the whole world. Here's evidence of it. The world is coming to God and honoring and worshiping him. They didn't hear about it through the Jewish line of, of religion or, or practices. But it came to them through their own and they responded anyway. Are they saved? And that's that's where the rub comes for me. Because in everything I've ever been taught, no one can be saved unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what if they've never heard? What if they've never ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they just lost forever? Is there no hope for them ever? I mean, if they spend their entire life from womb all the way through to their tomb, never hearing the gospel of God, are they lost forever? Where's the mercy in that? Where's the grace in that? Where's the love of God in that? And as I began to study, I found out, I never knew this. And I've gone to Bible college, and I've gone to master's programs, and I never heard this until this week. John Wesley, the, the man who, the theologian who our, our Wesleyan Arminian theology is based on his theology, he believed that there was walking in the light you were given, and then when you were presented with the gospel, you had to respond to it. His answer was, if, and his, his ministry, if you remember, was to the Native Americans here in the 1700s. He came across the ocean to minister specifically as a missionary to the Native Americans down in Georgia and North Carolina. 
excuse me, South Carolina area. And he said that for those who had never heard the gospel but responded to that wooing, he sensed in his own understanding of how God deals with the world that they were in right relationship with God, walking in all the light that they had. But that when they were then presented with the gospel, they had to then step into that light, own it and respond to it, either accepting or rejecting it, and then then ultimately that would determine their ultimate destiny. And that made so much sense to me. It really did, because that's one of the things that, that I've struggled with through the years, is where's the grace, where is the love, in just blanketly saying, I'm sorry, if you never heard the name Jesus, that's just too bad. So sad, you lose. Bye-bye, go to hell. And so for me, and I, I cannot show you the scripture that says this, but for me, I can say, I believe that God indeed pulls every single one of us out of the world that we're in and draws us to himself. And I believe, personally, this is my belief, that if I walk in the light that I am given and am faithful to that light, that God will honor that. And as I continue to seek him and continue to seek the light of God, he will begin to reveal more and more and more of the truth. And as long as I continue to walk in that truth, then I am in right relationship with him. And ultimately, I would expect that God would reveal the full truth, that there is indeed this plan of salvation that God has given his only son so that our sins could be forgiven. And yet the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But for me in my own world today, how does all of this work into how do I live my life? And what I want to say to us this morning is this. This is where I've come from my own self. I spent the last almost 40 years trying to convince the world of the truth. I'm a Christian. I believe this to be true. And if I think that you're going to go to hell because you don't believe it, then I need to get you to speak the same words I'm speaking. In other words, say exactly the same words. Say this formulaic prayer that says, Jesus, I am a sinner and I've offended you and I'm sorry and I need to ask for your forgiveness. And, and if you don't say it exactly that way, then you're not saved. And the thing that I come against is the culture that I'm living in right now is not open to God, is not open to Christianity, is not open to the name of Jesus. But if they don't say the words exactly as I tell them to say it, then they're not saved, and so therefore they're going to hell. And I think where I'm at in this is I need to recognize that God is calling every single human being from where they're at into light. They may not have the same level or depth of understanding that I have, but they're still on a path with God. And my job is not to get them to say the right words. My job is to shine the light. My job is to live perfectly within that circle of light that God has given me and to continue to broadcast that light so that they'll see the example. Just like I look at the scriptures and I see the way Paul lived and I see the way Peter lived, I see the way Jesus lived to show me the path 
to truth. And then to let God the Holy Spirit continue to work in their own life. And what I say by that is this. I have people that I know who are not Christians. They attend a church, but it's not a Christian church. And my heart is, I want them to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So I need to... But can I trust God to woo them in a way that makes sense to them? In a way that even through their own religious practices, they can see the truth. And as God puts it on their heart, they'll turn to me and ask questions. And then I'm ready, as First Peter says, ever be ready to give an answer when you're asked about the hope that's within you. But see, so often, I think, our Western Protestant evangelical culture is, we want to get that cookie cutter out and make Christians. And if they don't look like that, that's not Christian. Go to hell. We're making Christians. And I struggle with this mindset now. I mean, for so many years, 20 plus, 30, almost 30 years of my life, that's how I did it. You don't conform, go to hell. This is the way it is. You don't conform, go to hell. But I, in, my own, in my own walk, in my own understanding of scriptures, in my own understanding of the way God interacts with me and with the world, I can't do this anymore. Now, am I saying that Jesus isn't the way? No. Jesus is the only way for people to get saved. But I have to let God do the intersecting. I have to let God do the convincing. I have to let God shine the light. I have to be the light. But it's not my job to go digging around in their darkness. That's the Holy Spirit's business. And so, as you're interacting with your fellows this week, if you were made aware of darkness in their life, Pray for them. Oh God, may your Holy Spirit shine a light into that darkness that they're walking in right now. Pray for them. And in all of your ability, shine before them the light of Christ. But let the Holy Spirit be the one. Because for those of you who are gardeners, you understand you can't force the bloom. If you try to open up the rose bloom, rose petals, you'll end up with nothing but a stem. But if in God's perfect timing you allow that blossom to open up, there will be beauty and fragrance and health. And so if we look at it in that way, God the master gardener, allowing him to bring the life and the growth. And we just continue to pray and we continue to shine our lights. And, and maybe every so often get the opportunity to harvest. I think that's the better way to live than trying to just make the cookie cutters. I've got my little formula. If you say this magical prayer, you will become a Christian. Because I've learned that just saying those words doesn't necessarily mean heart change. It doesn't necessarily mean transformation. 
And this is hard. I was kind of scared of recording it. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't want anybody else to hear this. Um, but the reality is that's where I'm at right now. I believe in Jesus with all of my heart. I believe he is the only way. But I believe that we need to let God do the leading, do the drawing, do the convincing. We need to just walk in the way that he's calling us and giving us the opportunity. There's a prayer that I wanted to close with, and this will be our closing prayer. But before we do that, I want to give those of you who will be coming tonight the question for further discussion. Is salvation a matter of living a forgiven life or a holy life? And uh, it's an interesting thought. I came across it while I was studying Wesley this week. It's like, what? What? And I'm not there yet. I don't have an answer for myself. But I'd like to have an opportunity to process it with you guys this evening at 6.30 if you want. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in Jesus the Christ. We who once were not your people, but whom you chose to adopt as your people. As ancient Israel confessed long ago, we realize that it was not because of our own righteousness or our own superior wisdom or strength or power or numbers. It was simply because you loved us and to chose to show us that love in Jesus. As you have accepted us when we did not deserve your love, Will you help us to accept those whom we find it hard to love? Forgive us, O Lord, for any attitude that we harbor that on any level sees ourselves as better or more righteous than others. Will you help us to remove the barriers of prejudice and to tear down the walls of bigotry, religious or social? O Lord, help us realize that the walls that we erect for others only form our own prisons. Will you fill us so full of your love that there is no room for intolerance? As you have forgiven us much, will you enable us with your strength to forgive others even more? Will you enable us through your abiding presence among us, communally and individually, to live our lives in a manner worthy of the name we bear? May we, through your guidance and our faithful obedience, find new avenues in ways that we have not imagined of holding the light of your love so that it may be a light of revelation for all people. We thank you for your love, praise you for your gift, ask for your continued presence with us, and bring these petitions in the name of your Son, who has truly revealed your heart. Amen.